So if I could be just a little bit transparent right now and say that if there's one problem I know I need to work on, it's patience. I don't consider myself a very patient person. I like to get things done very quickly. If I say I'm hungry, <laughs> it's too late. I need the food going into my mouth right then. I like to drive at a fast speed to the point that I will drive fast even if I am on time or early. Doesn't matter. I like to go at a fast speed. I had a coach that used to tell us all the time, I don't care what you do as long as you do it at 100 miles an hour. When I take tests in school, I finish very early because either I know the answer or I don't. And so sitting around trying to guess is not going to be a big thing. I'm going to finish my midterm and my final very quickly. When I moved down here to go to Prairie View A&M University, I had to take a task test because I didn't go to a Texas school. I went to high school in Indianapolis, Indiana, and so they needed a Texas assessment of my skills. And I had to take that test before I get in. They give you five hours to finish the test. I finished it in about an hour and a half, and on the way out, the proctor was like, aren't you going to spend a little? No, I'm not going to spend any more time doing it. Either I know it or I don't, so I don't like to spend that much time dealing with things. And so I, just to be honest, I have to work on my patience because some of the things that come don't always come quickly. There's a little work that has to be put into it. Uh, and that's part of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he's going on these chapters. He's talking about working towards a goal and working long towards a goal and having faith to believe in yourself even when others don't. Uh, we talked last week when he was coming out of uh, chapter 11 about all of the different uh, people in the Bible who had done the faith. The, the writer talks about Abel and the faith that he exhibited in Enoch, and the faith that he exhibited in Noah, and the faith that he exhibited in Abraham and Sarah, and the faith that they exhibited up. And then he goes on later on in the chapter, uh, in, in chapter 11, to talk about uh, other people in the Bible. And he right about verse 29, he gets to Noah. And Noah, he says, he talk, I mean, not Noah, I'm sorry, Moses he talked about Noah, and then he went on to Moses, and he talks about Noah, Moses, rather, and he says, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, Moses and the people walked on dry land. Mm -hmm. They were crossing a body of water. That does not make sense. We can go six blocks down the street and see that water goes where it wants to go. Hmm. You can't make water hold still. If the water wants to go somewhere, it's going to seek its level and go to where it wants to, but yet by faith, 
Moses led the people on dry land. They were walking. Let the church say walking. Walking. Uh, see, in order to grow from glory to glory and grow from faith to faith, you are going to have to be able to move. All right. You can't just grow without any movement. Anything that needs to grow needs to move. It doesn't grow in place. Even though the plant is stationary, the roots are growing and they are moving under the ground and the rest of the plant is going straight up. So if you want to grow from faith to faith, you have to move. Hmm. And you're going to have to move through places where it might not be possible or might not be regularly accepted for you to be there. You're going to have to go some places where God, does, where God is telling you to go, but people are telling you not to go. Hmm. All right. Then in order to do that, it's going to be, it's, it's impossible, rather, to do that on your own. Once it's done, you'll be able to say, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, so it's walking. Hmm. And so, in order to do that, you have to move. And when I think about it, I think about I've been watching the Olympics. I love to watch the Olympics. It's my favorite event to see every four years. And, and, and since I was a child, I'd stay up until 2 and 3 in the morning to watch the Olympics, Amen. especially the sprinters. Amen. I grew up watching track and field, but I also I've, I've grown an affinity for swimming and gymnastics as well. And I think about when you got to go where you're just going, I think about the Olympian, Simone Manuel. Hmm. Here in Texas, yeah. just won gold medals in the 100-meter freestyle swimming and the 4 by 100 medley where she anchored, won a gold medal in that. She also got... Two, uh, got two silver medals, mm -hmm. one in the 50-meter freestyle and in the 4 by 100 meter freestyle relay. Mm -hmm. Simone was willing to go and walk in places that people were not willing to accept her. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we are, you, when, when, when you're walking, you have to think about where you've come from to where you've gone. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's no other way around it, but this was not an export, a sport where we, were readily, we as African Americans were readily accepted. We're talking about a sport where our own U.S. Navy said that black and white people were not allowed to swim together. Hmm. We're talking about a sport where Dorothy Dandridge, for a photo shoot, dipped her toe in a pool. And because she dipped her toe in the pool, they drained the whole pool out and refilled it because they didn't want anybody else touching that water. This is a place where people wrote in the communities, and if they caught somebody of color swimming in the pool, they, they would fill that pool up with dirt or cement because they didn't want anybody else to go from that. And then you'd have people who had the, were so-called scientists trying to speak on bone density and saying that an African-American's bones were too dense to float in water. So that's why we wouldn't allow them to swim. We go on from that to having a young lady from Texas win the 100-meter the uh, uh, freestyle and tears running down our eyes as they played the national anthem. We have to look at where we walked from to where we walked to. She was willing to go where people had not gone. And she worked long and hard for it. And, and, and the first thing that I noticed when, uh, when, when they said it is after she was able to compose herself, the moment the cameras and the microphone were in front of her and interviewing, they, they said the first thing she said after winning that gold medal was all glory be to God. Mm -hmm. She was willing to go where nobody else was willing to go. Amen. 
And, and, and not only was she willing to go, the next thing she did, she was willing to walk, walk right? And, and not only did she walk, but she waited. Because she said not only when she was interviewed at the goal, the first thing she said was all glory to God. And the second thing she said is they had been working on this for the past four years. She was 20 years old, but she had been training since she was 16 to be an Olympic swimmer. And she also said that she had almost given up hope because she had nobody else that she could look to, nobody else that she could aspire to that she would want to be a good swimmer. So she almost quit. But her coaches and her parents said, no, don't quit. And now, because she didn't have anybody to look up to, she became somebody that they're going to look up to in the future. Exercising that faith. Yeah, yeah. She worked long and hard for it, and so there was a walk. You had to walk where you weren't necessarily accepted. You had to walk where people were going, and you had to wait. Let the church say, wait. wait. I told you I had a problem with patience. And then right after they talk about Moses dry, walking on dry land, in, in verse 29, it goes to the walls of Jericho. Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho and it talks about how they marched around Jericho seven times in obedience to glory's command and the only thing that they knew about it is that this would defeat them the people of God were surrounded the people of God fought a city surrounded by a wall <laughs> you know it was kind of funny I remember taking Old Testament one with uh, Dr. Heller probably one of the, 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 the smartest Old Testament theologians I've ever met, an awesome teacher. I thought I was going to hate Old Testament when I took the class, but he made it very interesting. I was hurt that he didn't get to teach Old Testament too for me, but I learned a lot from him, and he talked about Joshua. And he said, you know, they were surrounded by a wall, and do you know how you win a, wa a war against people who are surrounded by a wall whose city is fortified? Like this. <laughs> you wait you wait and eventually they will fall down on them own selves you wait God's timing is not our own timing sometimes when we want something we want something that may not be the best for us if we are supposed and not only it may not be the best for us if we are supposed to have it sometimes we're not supposed to have it all our own time, and if we got everything we wanted when we wanted it, we may not be able to appreciate it. Mm. We may not be able to take care of it like it's, yeah. it means something to us. Yeah. Sometimes it's not really for us. Mm. You know, sometimes there's somebody who's been where we're trying to go, yeah. has done what we're trying to do, and might be able to say that might not be what you want. All right, all right. That might not be what you need at this time. That oh. might not be what will be good for you. You might not be able to take care of it. You might not be able to appreciate it. Hmm. And so you wait. Yeah. And so we have to walk sometimes. We go from faith to faith and we have to wait. And then it goes on later on in, in, the, in that same text going from 29, getting to the verse in your hearing. It talks about Rahab proving her allegiance to God and the people of Israel by, by allowing the spies to stay in their house and getting them out without trouble. And her lineage ended up becoming part of a, the lineage of Jesus. 
And then it goes on to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also David and Samuel and the prophets as well. They all war. Let's church say war. So the, the, the writer assumes in those parts that we all have read Judges and First and Second Samuel by now when he starts talking about these people. But these are people who they, they, they're naming the names because the point is, is by faith, kingdoms are conquered. By faith, justice is administered. And by faith, the promises are obtained. All of these people exercise faith. They didn't have any kind of business plan set out, any kind of historical data that they could turn to, any kind of list of times that Jesus or God has done all of these things for them. They just know God told them to do something, and they did it. They stepped out on faith, and because they moved into faith, they were able to war and obtain these promises. And sometimes they didn't obtain the promises the way that they thought they would. Again, I say that Abraham did not see the promised land. Isaac did not see it. Jacob did not see it. Went all the way down to Moses, and Moses almost got to it. But Joshua was the one that walked into the promised land. So sometimes when we operate on faith, the way that the promise is going to be respond may be through our children's children. We may be putting this up for somebody else to walk through. And we have to be okay with that because sometimes that's the way God's timing works. If we were able to do it ourselves, what would be the need for God? And so they obtained the promises. And sometimes the ones that obtained the promises saw answers along the way. And they saw the promise of Christ coming. And they saw the promise of different things. And they saw the promise of the promised land coming. And they were able to work until they could work no longer. And then pass it on to the next people. I mean, that's what we're doing when we're here in church. We're not in here building up for ourselves. This institution is not designed to edify itself. We're supposed to go out into the world. We're supposed to go out into the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That is what we're supposed to do. Not necessarily plan for extravagant programs that only benefit ourselves. If we plan for something extravagant, it ought to be extravagant to benefit the community. The community ought to know we're here. The community ought to have a relationship with us. That is what we are doing. Building up for those coming behind us. And then it says that we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Who is watching? Let the church say watching. Uh, we have to walk where, 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 where some places we haven't walked And we have to wait sometimes when we don't want to wait. And we have to watch sometimes. And we have to pay attention to who is watching. Uh, In the text it says, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. So let us throw off everything that hinders us in the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Uh, The writer is telling the readers that they are in a race before a great crowd of people who have come before him, come before them, rather, that have been able to do what they what they want them to do. It's much easier to accomplish something when you know that it's been done before. It's easier to do something when you know, well, it's obviously not that bad. Everybody else before me went through it. 
So I should be able to go through it. And these clouds of witnesses are cheering us on. You know, when you know somebody is watching, you always perform a little bit better. Practice is important. Practice is necessary. Practice is mandatory for whatever you're trying to do. But I know that when I ran track and when I played football, that I never ran as fast in the, I, I, I never ran as fast in practice as I could in the meet. It was something about seeing a stadium full of people cheering you on. A stadium full of people cheering you on, wanting you to score, wanting you to run fast, wanting you to win the 100-meter dash, wanting you to win all of that. It was something about that stadium full of people that always got an extra step or two out of me. The adrenaline kicks in and makes you run faster and jump higher and play harder. One thing I recall as being a, a sound engineer by trade, I would do audio for concerts. And I always had to be prepared for the adrenaline jump. We would do a sound check hours before the, the concert was supposed to start. And we would come in and practice with the drummer and practice with the bass player and the guitar player and the keyboard players and the singers and the, or everybody. We would practice and, 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 you know, we would get the levels right. Can you hear yourself loud enough? They most certainly could. And then the show would start. And one of my mentor engineers told me to always be prepared for the adrenaline jump. So what that meant is once the crowd filled up. Once the sanctuary filled up, once the auditorium filled up, once there was more people in there, be prepared for louder singing and harder playing. And so where they may have been at a level of a 5 out of 10, best believe when the crowd comes up, it's going to be a 9 out of 10 or an 11 out of 10. They're going to break the meter. Why? Because the adrenaline comes. It's only a natural reaction. There are certain things even... I got to point the finger at myself. There are certain things preachers do when there's five or when there's 500. It's energy. We feed off of each other in all of these different disciplines. When you are running track or you're playing football or you're playing music, music or you are playing all of these things, they come together and they feed off of each other. And so the writer is telling these people, I know you think that you are running this race by yourself. I know you think that there is nobody here that understands what you are going through, but allow me to explain to you all the people who have gone before you who are able to step out on faith. And so when you are wondering about where where your bills are going to come from, or if you're wondering about how to worship God, or whether or not God actually loves you, if you are wondering about all of these things that are going on in this thing called life, allow me to provide you some examples. Allow me to show you some people who had nothing and went from nothing to something with the stepping out on faith on God. Allow me to show you the people who obtained the promises that God provided for them by stepping out on faith. So you are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses. You're surrounded by your Abels and your Enochs and your Noahs and your Moseses and your Abrahams and Isaacs and Jacobs and your, and your Jephthahs and your Ephraims and you're surrounded by your Josephs. You're surrounded by all of these people who stepped out on faith right before you. 
and not let and we, we don't even have to go to the Bible. If, if, if you want to go past the Bible, you surrounded by a cloud of witnesses of those who have gone before you, your big mamas and your big daddies, your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles in the churches that you grew up in and the pastors that walked you along the way. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody encouraged you on. And so these are the people who are surrounding you and cheering you on. And they're not just cheering you on. They're operating in community. It talks about laying aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely among the burdens that need to be thrown away. We say time and time that you cannot be a Christian outside of community. And oftentimes when we talk about it, we talk about being a Christian outside. I say you can't be a Christian outside of community, but oftentimes when we talk about it, rather, we talk about going out and doing things that make us feel good. Ah, yes, we fed the hungry. We in community. We clothed the naked. We doing what the Bible says to do. We bound up the wounds of the afflicted. Look at our back-to-school programs. Yes. Look at us. But being in community also means being close to people who, are, who can hold you accountable. Letting enough people in to tell you that's not a good idea. Being able to, to, to operate in community to see what other people needed. People knew what was going on with everybody else during this time, so they were able to help each other out. Able to talk out the problems. Able to work out any issues that they had because they were with each other. It was a true community. They, being, being a believer in Jesus back then meant you had to give up your family. Meant you may have had to give up everything you had, and so you were looking for a family to support you. And so these people are close enough to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. That's how you lay aside the weight of sin that so held you so closely is in community, in covenant with other people. I was listening to a, a, a pastor uh, on the way um, on the way to a meeting yesterday, and he talked about it. It's interesting about roles versus circles. He brought up when you sit shoulder to shoulder with people, you don't necessarily know what's going on with the person next to you, and so he prefers circles over roles. Why? Because everybody's got to be face to face with each other. You got to be in community, and so that laying aside every weight, you laying aside every weight with help. And these people who are encouraging you, and sometimes it's literally uh, when, when in, in the text, when he talks about it in Hebrews about getting in community and getting away from sin, these people are people who are able to admonish you. These are people who are able to encourage you. These are people who are literally able to beg you to stop doing whatever it is that you're doing. My Lord, my Lord. But you can't get that way if you don't let anybody else in. And so if you're not in community with each other, you're not able to lay aside every weight. Mm -hmm. You're by yourself as a silo and you start moving further and further away from the mark. Mm -hmm. And when you move further and further away from the mark, because you're not in community with anybody else, you may think you're still hitting the mark. Mm. When there's another perspective, when somebody else is able to look at that and see that that's not a good idea or it shouldn't be done that way, they're able to hold you accountable. And then it says to run the race. Athletic competition was important to the Greeks. It was extremely important to the Greeks. 
That's why I use that, that metaphor about running. Funny thing about track that has made me appreciate things in life is that you rarely ever run the event you practice. When I was in high school uh, on the varsity track team, I ran the 100-meter dash, the 4x1, and the 200. And eventually, I ran just the 4x1 and the 100. But when we went to practice, we rarely ran 100s. A, a, a practice for us, 100-meter and 200-meter sprinters would start with a, one, with a full lap warm-up. So that's 400 meters. And then we do four laps of what they call straights and curves, where you sprint to straight and jog the curve, sprint to straight. You do that for two laps, and then you come back and sprint to curve and jog the straight. So that's a mile. So I'm a 100-meter sprinter, but I done ran a full 400 meters, which is longer than 100, and then I ran a mile. Mm -hmm. Then we'd stretch. And after we finished stretching, depending on how the coach was feeling, we might run between five and ten 300-meter dashes. Remember, I'm a 100-meter sprinter. I ain't ran a 100 yet. And, and then after we do that, because the coach that handled the 100 and the 200-meter sprinters also handled the 400-meter sprinters, he'd go over to them, and they not even though they run 400-meter dashes in their event, they're not running that in practice. It's 500 meters, 600 meters, and 800 meters. Sometimes it's a half of a, a, a mile race, running, 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 and you're running longer. Then we might work on handoffs, and we might work on starts, but the thing was is I'm a 100-meter sprinter, and I have not run a 100 meter in practice. And we would do that over and over and over again. And what that was doing was getting us in shape. Because the fact of the matter is, is even though you're running 100 meters, you're never actually at your full speed that entire 100 meters. Not to get super technical into the breakdown, but when you build up, you, you, you probably only run your absolute fastest in a 100 meter sprint somewhere around 30 to 40 of the meters of the 100. And what all of those 300s and 400s and 600s and 800s was trying to get it so that we could hold it longer. And so you run miles and miles and miles to get an extra 10 meters on your sprint. And so when he talks about running the race with perseverance, that's what I look at. We don't run just to do what we're doing over and over again. We're running this with perseverance, so we're going to have to run longer than we thought. We run longer so that when those opportunities come up, we're able to go through them with ease. I look at musicians, and I had a discussion with someone who was planning an event, and he didn't necessarily agree with what the band was charging. He said they're only charging for two songs, or they're only charging this to play for two hours or something like that. And I said, you're not paying the musician for the songs and the time that they're there. You're paying them for the time that they're away. So even though you only want them for one hour, you have prevented them from doing anything the rest of the day. So that's why the rate is there. You're not paying for the two songs or the two hours or however long you want them to play. You are playing for what they did to get there. It's about the perseverance. I, I, I've had the discussion as well when we talk about perseverance with editing. I used to edit video for a living. I still do it from time to time, but a three-minute video can take up to three hours to produce. So when they talk about perseverance, you're not paying for three minutes. You're paying for the time that it took to get there. Mm -hmm. 
Believe it or not, I don't roll out the bed and just look at the text and say, oh, I'm going to do Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and come through this. It takes hours of preparation. And so that's how it is with life. If there is anything you want to do in life, don't think about the moment that you want to do it. You have to think about the perseverance, the preparation, the time that's put in. It's not an overnight thing. And so when we run with perseverance... It's about constantly going on. It's about constantly grinding. It's about constantly getting better. Spending your time and talent and dedicating yourself to it. If there is anything that you want to be good at, number one, you got to believe, and number two, you got to put the time in. It does not happen overnight. And so the path to holiness does not happen overnight. We don't just wake up in the morning and say, ooh, I got it now. No, it's a constant grind. We have to die to ourselves daily. You don't just read the Bible one day and say, I'm good for the rest of the year. You don't just pray one time and say, I'm good for here. You don't just fast one time and say, I'm good. We good for no. No, it is a constant persevering struggle. You have to do it every day. Because just like if you work out and stop working out, you'll lose what you've gained. It's the same thing with the Bible. It's the same thing with the text. It's the same thing with this thing we call life and this thing we call Christianity. You have to die to yourself daily. We have to keep working. We have to keep working towards it. And we keep working towards it because Jesus was willing to endure it all. And so if Jesus was willing to endure it all, we ought to be able to do it. Ah, the cloud of the Old Testament witnesses inspire us. Their stories to look back at, to encourage us. But the principal understanding, the principal understanding is the work of Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the pioneer. He is the perfecter. He is the example that we are supposed to abide by. Whenever we have any question about what we're supposed to do about it, we need to look to Jesus. Because he was willing to do it all. And the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That is the mystery that they talk about, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the one who was ruling above all. They thought that they were able to defeat him by putting him on the cross, but he endured the cross and, did, and, and actually died, but rose again on the third day with all power in his hands. And because he was able to re raise with all power in his hands, he is now seated at the right hand of the father. And he sat at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because you can sit down when your work is done. I, I don't have to worry about what's going to happen because Jesus has already won the battle. He took your sins and my sins and everybody else's sins and took them to the cross with him so that we can avoid death, hell, and the grave. And so if you can't keep pushing on because of everything else, you can keep pushing on because of that. That Friday morning on a hill called Calvary. That Friday morning where he went to Golgotha, a.k.a. the place of the skull, and was hung up between two thieves like a common criminal. Beaten, hung, bled, and died like a common criminal for a crime he didn't commit. He lived a life that none of us could live. Died a death that none of us could die. Could have called 10,000 angels yeah, yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And got himself up off the cross. Mm -hmm. But if he'd have got himself up off the cross, mm -hmm. they'd have had to put my soul on the cross. Yeah. So I'm glad that he put his own self on the cross and took my place. And so that I can have access to the Father. Yeah, yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.